This is Richard Pothig, and this is a continuation of the autobiography with Chapter 8 called Moving On Over. The original purpose of the Goodwill Sunday School was to bring young people from the East Side into church membership at Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church. Henry Sloankoff, the pastor of Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church, encouraged the Goodwill Mission to the East Side to provide younger children from working-class families a religious training within the context of their own neighborhoods. By the time they were 12, they should have been well-grounded enough in the faith to make the transition to Madison Avenue Church. distance between Goodwill Sunday School and 80th Street and 2nd Avenue and 73rd Street and Madison Avenue, where Madison Avenue Church was located, was a mile. The social distance was enormous. Most of the young people from the east side who attended Goodwill never made it over to Madison Avenue. Morgan Noyes, in writing the biography of Henry Sloan Coffin, tells of Coffin's early struggle with the members of Madison Avenue Church to deal seriously with the people of the Eastside Chapel, which MAPC supported. A Coffin proposal to bring the children from the Eastside Chapel to become part of Madison Avenue Church caused great consternation. Members of the session felt that if the young people from the working-class Eastside were brought into Madison Avenue Church, the more wealthy families from the west of 3rd Avenue would not bring their children to church. The initial fear of the wealthier families was that the working-class children would bring their diseases with them to MAPC. Undaunted, Coffin deliberately made an effort to encourage families from the east side to bring their children to Madison Avenue Church. Morgan Noyes, who had served as Coffin's assistant at MAPC, tells of Coffin's ministry. Week in and week out, he called in the neighborhoods adjacent to the church, east and west, climbing tenement stairs and ringing doorbells near Central Park, finding out where the unchurched people were, and assuring them that they would be welcomed. At the same time as Coffin sought participation from the working-class families in MAPC, he was working to help his regular congregation see themselves as a democratic church, a church which welcomed all people. Noyes writes of Coffin's continual efforts to broaden his members' vision of an open church, one which was unafraid of the life of the city and its people, he was sensitive to his wealthier members' concern that the health of their children would be endangered in Madison Avenue Church Sunday School. He studied the weekly reports of the health department of the city, making note of the infectious diseases in the area where MAPC ministered. One week, he noted in the health report the increasing number of cases of scarlet fever in the area between 3rd Avenue and 5th Avenue. At the same time, no cases showed up in the working-class area from 3rd Avenue to the East River. The next Sunday morning, Coffin called this fact to the attention of his congregation in his sermon. He did this with a certain mischievousness, asking parents in the neighborhood affected by the disease not to spread the sickness to the children east of 3rd Avenue. 
By the time I was ready to go to Madison Avenue Church, the situation in the congregation had mellowed. Nevertheless, I faced a tough decision in making the journey to Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church. My experience at Goodwill had meant much to me, but the move to MAPC was an unknown quantity. I knew it would be a different world. I had been to MAPC on previous occasions, so it was not completely new territory to me. During summer evenings, I had gone with my mother to the roof garden parties held in the church house, which provided space for recreational and social activity. The church house was a seven-story building abutting the church building. When the church house was built in 1916, it towered over all the other buildings in the neighborhood. It was built at the time when the church mission was intentionally engaging in providing community programs and services. The church house had two bowling alleys, billiard tables, a swimming pool in the basement. On the upper floors, there were two basketball courts used also for volleyball and dances, a floor for church offices, housing for one of the associate pastors, many Sunday school rooms, and a roof garden. It was a major attraction to the people from the east side. All the families in the church were invited to these functions but it was usually only the folks from across 3rd Avenue who came to the events. The summer roof garden programs were a case in point. Most of the well-to-do members had vacated the city for their summer homes, but for those who lived in the tenements, the roof garden was a respite during the New York summer hot spells. The roof garden was an open area enclosed with a high wire screen. On occasions, the roof was used for badminton. I enjoyed looking at the lights of Madison Avenue as they ran downtown. From this vantage point, you could also see through to Central Park. On these evenings, movies were shown and dessert was served, and there was good conversation from my mother. Many of the young people in the church school at MAPC had attended since their elementary school days. Most of them were from Eastside families who had sent their children directly to the church. They were Czech and Scots families who had lived closer to the church in the high 60s and in the low 70th street blocks. Within these already established groups, there were cliques, which were difficult to penetrate. There were other young people at MAPC who were from families of wealth who lived on Park, Madison, and Fifth Avenues. After they had made their confirmation, most of these young people disappeared from regular church school and social activities. It took some courage to make the move from Goodwill to MAPC. Few of my friends at Goodwill made the journey. Harry Fisher, who had attended Goodwill, made the journey with me. We bolstered one another by walking the distance to Madison Avenue on Sunday mornings. On our first visit, we felt like intruders moving into someone else's territory. The trip was too much for Harry, and eventually he dropped out. One of the persons who helped us make the transition to Madison Avenue was Horace Hollister, the choir master. He was on the staff of MAPC, but devoted himself to the struggling Goodwill Choir. He was also the youth choir director at MAPC, so he immediately worked on getting Harry and me integrated into the program at the church. Horace and his wife had parties at their apartment for the choir and the youth group. Their hospitality and their genuine interest broke down some of the distance 
between young people and helped open up new acquaintances. Once I became involved, I gained the courage to make new friends. The teachers at MAPC also provided openings for new friends. Some teachers recognized that we were from Goodwill and so gave us encouragement to stay the course. Some of them were seminarians from Union Theological Seminary who were doing their field work at the church. Jim Westhafer, who later served at Westminster Church in Dayton, Ohio, Eunice's home church, was a seminarian at MAPC during my teenage years. Jim was later to baptize our daughter Johanna in 1956 at Westminster Church before we left for the Philippines. Many of the seminarians at MAPC in the 1930s and 1940s came to MAPC because of George Buttrick, the senior minister of the church. He was a renowned preacher and also taught homiletics at Union Seminary. Most seminarians hoped Buttrick's preaching would rub off on them. In the 1940s, Life magazine named him among the ten best preachers in the United States. Buttrick drew around him on his staff an exceptional group of people dedicated to continuing the tradition of MAPC as a church which cut across all class lines. Buttrick had inherited this mantle from Henry Sloan Coffin, his predecessor at Madison Avenue. Coffin himself stood in the tradition of families from wealth who had broad concerns, social concerns, and sensitivities. Coffin had worked patiently, persistently, to abolish pew rents at MAPC so that the church could finally give public notice that all pews are free and unassigned. Coffin's major concern was that the church house, in which he had special pride, would overshadow the church. In retrospect, there was some truth to this concern. In my own experience, the division between social activities and the religious program was a reality. This division was overcome in part by the religious leadership on the church staff, which carried out its Christian education and youth program. Philip Cowell Jones was the associate pastor for the youth program, and it was through his interest in me that I became more active in the religious part of the program. In my 14th year, I was ready to join the church. This was the reason my mother had signed me up at Goodwill in the first place. She wanted me to make a confirmation of my baptism. My six years at Goodwill for preparation for making my profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Moving over to the Madison Avenue Church with its extensive social programs could have been a sidetrack. The social program had an attraction to me. There was bowling competition and there was pool. There were basketball games and volleyball. There was the Friday night dances at the church where I learned how to Lindy Hop into Foxtrot. After the dances, there were postmortems at the dumps an ice cream parlor on 3rd Avenue between 79th and 80th Street, where young people gathered to discuss the latest choice news items. The dumps were back in my own neighborhood, so I felt some affirmation with having people in my own territory. It was at this time that I met Jerry Pospisil. He was also from my neighborhood. Jerry lived on East 81st Street between 1st and York Avenue. 
This was a notorious block which during Prohibition was rumored to have an illegal liquor still in a warehouse. After I had gotten to know him, Jerry confirmed the fact that indeed such an illegal still existed. Jerry was from a Czech family which had become associated with Madison Avenue Church. Jerry never attended Goodwill Sunday School but had gone directly to Madison Avenue. We became fast friends and went together to the young people's events at Madison Avenue Church. Along the way, Jerry and I picked up another friend, Richard Frothingham. Dick Frothingham was from a different social background altogether. Dick had come from middle-class background. He had lost his mother early in life. By the time he was seven, his father had died. His stepmother, his father's third wife, was abusive to Dick and his brother during their early years. Dick, who had been baptized in Episcopalian, came to Madison Avenue Church through the Boy Scout program. Dick was a seeker and added a serious religious dimension to our friendship. Dick, through my encouragement, attended the College of Worcester after mustering out of the U.S. Army in 1946. All three of us found great satisfaction in attending worship on Sunday mornings. George Buttrick provided encouragement for regular attendance. I discovered something deeper and more demanding toward which I was drawn through his preaching. My relationship to the church was nurtured during my middle teen years. Life at MAPC opened for me a larger view of the world, and along with it a growing sense of vocation. In the early 1940s, I became a leader in the youth program at Madison Avenue. This was a crucial transition for me. I was moving away from my friends in the neighborhood with whom I had grown up. Most of those in our 83rd Street gang were Roman Catholic. Out of the dozen or so friends, I was the only practicing Protestant. Milan Kulik and Jerry Bartonek, both Czechs, were nominally Protestant. The others were faithful Catholics. I did not cut myself off from these friends, but more of my time was being spent in church activities. Our 83rd Street gang got together during the week and on Saturdays, but on Friday nights and on Sundays, I was at Madison Avenue Church. Phil Jones, Philip Jones, the associate pastor, had involved me in a number of youth activities. The training I had received at Goodwill had prepared me well. I was called upon to take part in youth worship services at 9.30, which preceded the 11 o'clock worship service on Sunday morning. Hulda Nieber, the sister of Reinhold Nieber, was responsible for these services. I had my introduction to the Nieber family early in my religious training. Hilda Nieber opened us up to heavy theological questions in our teens. I remember one early morning worship service in 1940 after the war had begun in Europe when we spent time studying the theme of nationalism from a religious perspective and presenting it at a 9.30 youth worship service. In the early 1940s, I was elected an officer in the Westminster Fellowship, the National Youth Program of the Presbyterian Church. This put me in touch with young people from other New York City congregations. We had a memorable interracial fellowship meeting with young people at St. James Presbyterian Church, a congregation in Harlem, pastored by Shelby Rooks Sr. His son Shelby was to be my classmate and a next-door neighbor on the sixth floor of Hastings Hall during my years at Union Theological Seminary.
participation in Westminster Fellowship provided me a grounding in the work of the National Presbyterian Church. Planning retreats on behalf of Westminster Fellowship for New York City put me in touch with Rosalie Kincaid, an adult leader in the fellowship in the New York State level. Before graduating from high school in January 1942, I was elected as the stewardship chair of the Westminster Fellowship for New York State. My work in Westminster Fellowship was short-lived. By 1941, more serious matters were brewing in the world. War was declared in December 1941. I graduated from the High School of Commerce in January 1942. Most of my high school friends were drafted immediately into the armed services. I had graduated at the age of 16, so I was ineligible for the draft. The war, nevertheless, had changed my life. I was no longer comfortable as a teenager. In 1942, February, I began work at Beston Company, Fifth Avenue. I had moved into the world of the young adult. <laughs>